want to feel. I just feel the rush. I feel the need to score a goal. I feel the need to win. Around here, all you pretty much play is like basketball and football, and I wanted something different. It definitely improves you as a person. You want to go out and experience this beautiful game. It's really just empowering the students to love something and to find a passion. And, that, and they found it, and they, they found it through lacrosse. The difference I noticed between lacrosse and all the other sports in lacrosse, for some reason, I just feel free. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast, season three, episode 11. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, joined on this show by Kate Henwood, stepping in for Coach Coop. Coach, good to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me again. You are stepping in left and right. You, you co-host the last show. You're back today. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. More than a podcast, like I said last, last time. <laughs> you get me so fired up. This, we're going to have fun. I'm very excited about today's guest, Mike Levin, the CEO of Harlem Lacrosse. His background as a player is most impressive, but even more so is his work with Harlem. Coach Mike, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. Now for a basic bio, we're going to turn to Coach Henwood here. Coach, All right. introduce us. Yeah, let's, let's try to do some justice here to, uh, to Coach Mike. So before joining Harlem Lacrosse, Mike co-founded City Lacrosse in, in L.A., with Doc O'Connor. Prior to founding City Lacrosse, Mike served as a CEO of Boston-based Metro Lacrosse, where he worked from 08 through 2014. Mike holds a BA from Brown and a master's in education in curriculum and instruction from BC's Lynch School of Education. During Mike's successful playing career, he earned All-America honors twice at Brown and also won two MLL championships during his seven-year professional career. Mike played his youth and high school lacrosse in upstate New York and now resides in Los Angeles. All right, Coach Mike, what do we miss? I know you're a humble guy, but fill in a couple blanks, especially your youth. Um, well, it was great, like trip down memory lane. You know, it's interesting to be um, still like have lacrosse be such a, you know, central focus of my career, but it's like I often forget that I I feel very removed from playing lacrosse, you know, um, and probably because I've had such a like rich and fulfilling career post playing and I'm very lucky to have done that. But um, yeah, I think um, I guess I can share that like my formative years in lacrosse were really important to me, you know, just like, and I think about it a lot now when I think about um, where the sport's going and how I want to contribute to where it's going and what it can be for other people, but just, you know, playing lacrosse at my town rec center, um, which Pittsford is a like upper middle class community. It's a, it's an affluent community where there's lots of resources there, but I learned to play lacrosse at the rec center. You know, that was subsidized by the taxpayers of New York. It was an affordable, very accessible option. And that became like an amazing thing for me, you know, and a, and a very robust, comprehensive experience. Like, I had amazing coaches. It was intimately linked to my education, to like my academic experience. And it, it set me up to take the sport as far as I could possibly take it. I don't think I could have gotten more out of my experience as a lacrosse player than I did, given 
my natural abilities and interests and aptitude in it. And all of that was provided to me at a very low cost in a way that was very accessible. It wasn't, you know, and so that I'm very grateful for that, you know, and it definitely informs what I want Harlem Lacrosse to be. I believe that that's sort of like, um, I hope that we, that we, we meaning like a, the lacrosse community thinks about sort of like stewarding the game forward in that way, because there's lots of forces at play now that are, um, make that sometimes more challenging, you know, and, and lots of great private operators like, like you all who provide amazing services, but, um, you know, it's, I think that we have to be thoughtful about like when the game is growing geographically, sometimes you see it um, in new geographies, like here in California, where you you have sort of like private operators that are, are really fueling the growth. It's not like there's an existing public infrastructure that is more accessible and broad-based. It's kind of like there's a great private operator in the space. And so that can have the effect of making the game uh, not as accessible as it could be. So anyways, I'm, I'm grateful for my early days to have had the experience that I did. And I think it definitely informs my perspective on like, what I think the game can be for, for a particular community. Any shout outs to past mentors, specific people who made a difference? Yeah, I, I had a really, I was really lucky. My um, high school coaches were Paul Wilson and Scott Bryson, who were incredible coaches and a very unique experience that like the, they both worked at the rec department. So coach Bryson was actually like, you know, he was at my first practice that I ever went to as a second grader. And he was coached me all the way through high school. He was the JV coach when I was the JV coach and he was a, he assisted on the varsity team. So he was like probably at like every lacrosse practice I was at or almost all of them, 90% of the lacrosse practices I was at from age seven to 18. And that's just quite a unique thing. And um, he had a huge impact on me and, uh, gave a lot to me, you know, and really pushed me in some really important ways and helped me think about what a coach could be. Um, and Coach Wilson was the same way. Um, he wasn't as involved in the youth program, so I didn't get to experience him as much until high school, but I spent a ton of time with him and definitely showed me, I think, um, you know, like what a, what a coach could be and helped me think about that for the future, how important that role is in someone's life. And so um, I think about them often when I think about the work that I'm doing now. No, I know you don't want to talk about your background too much, so I respect your humility, but let's give it warp speed to Brown. You're at Brown University. You're a three-time Ivy League goalie. Any memories looking back of your time at the university? Yeah, I mean, Brown is an amazing place to go to college. I'm very, I feel very lucky to go there for lots of reasons, you know, just like, like academically and socially, just kind of like opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, but lacrosse wise, really great experience, like kind of some ups and downs in terms of wins and losses. Um, I think some real like character building experiences, definitely like trying to figure out how to be the leader that I wanted to be um, as we navigated those ups and downs, because I was a, a good player on the team and a sort of a prominent player and personality on the team. And we didn't always get the outcome that we wanted. You know, we, we kind of like scratched the surface, I would say, of like how good we could be. Um, but amazing relationships, you know, amazing experiences. We de definitely would not trade it for anything. And um, yeah, just some really special people that have come through that program. Now I, now I kind of look back on it and feel grateful to be part of like a, the lineage of it all, you know, I'm connected to Dom through our work mm -hmm. at Harlem Lacrosse. And so I've kind of been connected to many generations of Brown Lacrosse players. And, you know, I, I, I thought I was a good goalie at the time. <laughs> 
I, I was good. I was pretty good. You know, it's like I was an all American and stuff, but they, they kept just getting better goalies after I graduated. So I was like, <laughs> I became kind of like less significant in the history of Brown lacrosse every year that I was out. Um, they've had some really amazing goalies. So it's kind of like a special club to be a part of. Yeah, amazing enough to then be a seven-year pro and win a couple world titles with which teams? Yeah, so the first was with Rochester, which was a really cool experience just having, being from that community. And the team was very special in 2008. Like I saw this uh, Pro Lacrosse Hall of Fame thing come out the other day and really cool to have a few, a lot of people from that era in general that was playing against MLL, but Casey Powell and John Grant Jr. were on that team. And, you know, like most, a big chunk of our team was from basically Syracuse to Toronto. <laughs> So they were kind of like some of the people I knew growing up, um, which was cool to play pro lacrosse like that, where like we were all kind of like from the community basically. And it was an awesome team. So that was a very special group to be a part of. And then um, I won again in my last year playing with the Bayhawks in which I was a backup. Chris Garrity was the goalie or, uh, who was awesome and had an amazing year. And I was, you know, knew that it was kind of winding down for me, but it was, it was great to sort of like have one more run at it, you know, and just get to experience. They, were they coach coddle years at the Bayhawks? It was, um, well, it's funny. Uh, John Tucker was the coach to start the year uh, yeah. and they let him go in the middle of the year. And then Brendan Kelly became the coach. Right. And uh, that was right. I think when coach coddle like started to get involved. So I, you know, I, I was the backup goalies. So I was on the sideline and I remember talking to him a bunch, like about, I want to say about halfway through the year, he started to show up on the sideline and, and was like, you know, these, I had a great experience with all three of them, honestly, with, with Brendan, with BK and with uh, Tucker and with Coddle. And um, I was really super impressed with Dave Coddle, you know, having, I didn't, I never met him before at that point, but just, um, a really great lacrosse mind, like a really great X's and O's guy. So I, I, it was my last year of playing lacrosse. I was like 30 years old or something. I thought I kind of like knew it all, I guess, but, or I didn't think I knew it all, but I had been around the block a few times and I was just like, wow, this is like, I was really learning a lot about the game from him, which I appreciated. Yeah. I was loyal to Greyhound. So he was my coach and best X and O lacrosse mind I'd ever been around. Yeah. He knows his stuff too. And I, um, and I, I grew to really like, you know, uh respect him as a leader and sort of like the way his relationship with players and stuff i think he was you know he's he's a very decorated coach for a reason you know he's accomplished a lot he's you know so i had a great impression of even though i only got a short time with him all right so with your lacrosse bona fides in solid position here we can now move on to your most impressive work so coach you want to help take us into harlem sure yeah i guess my biggest question for you mike is sort of while you were playing professionally is that when you your passion for getting involved in urban education was really founded and did you get right into teaching and were you doing that sort of simultaneously um while you're playing professionally yeah so when i graduated college i was like, I don't really know what I wanted to do. I was just like, I felt like I had a little bit of kind of like unfinished. I wasn't really ready to let lacrosse go. So I'm like, if I can keep playing, I'm just going to do that and then figure what else out. My mom's a teacher and I had kind of like worked coaching camps and stuff in college. So I was sort of like, that felt comfortable to me to like go try and work with kids in some way. 
And I got a job teaching middle school right out of college. So that next year I was teaching middle school math and coaching lacrosse outside of Boston. And then I decided to, um, I coached college for one year at Holy Cross and still kind of not really knowing what I wanted to do, but just sort of like meandering to things that were comfortable and interesting to me. So it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can coach. That sounds good. And I had a great time doing it. Um, and then I, but that that year that I was coaching, I kind of was like, hey, I want to be an educator. And so I, that's when I got, I would say a little more focused. So I went back to school. Um, and that's why I went back to grad school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get a degree. I want to work in Boston public schools. I want to work in like an urban uh, high school and, um, you know, try to advance educational equity, essentially. Like, I just want to try to be part of the solution for, to a, a system that I thought was like, giving a great education to as, as many kids in this country as possible. So that's when I started to have some focus. And um, when I graduated from BC, I, I signed up to be a volunteer at Metro, this, this organization, Metro Lacrosse, I heard about. It. So I go on their website and was like, okay, I'll volunteer. And they called me up and they're like, we have a job opening, um, which seemed like a great fit for me. So that's how that happened. I started working there. November of 2007 so just like you know a while ago now <laughs> just just a short time ago now that's an incredible story it's it's so interesting to know sort of the roots of your passion for um, you know introducing the sport uh, in into the urban neighborhoods and just your I guess your vision for um, leading, you know, groups of kids that, you know, maybe were, were different than the ones that you were used to interacting with through your own childhood. So I guess what, what inspired you? You said your mom was a teacher. Was there, you know, a certain influence in your life or was, was this sort of always your calling? You know, I think when I went to Brown, I, like where I grew up, it sort of was an amazing place to grow up. And it was, and like, I, it, I, but I came as I got older to sort of like understand that I had lived kind of a, like a somewhat sheltered upbringing. Not, not, I'm not, I don't say that in a negative way at all. Like it was, it was an amazing place to grow up. Um, but I was kind of like, my head was spinning a little bit when I like graduated kind of like, whoa, there's a lot to the world. I don't know, you know? Right. And um, so I started to, I guess I started to think along those lines at that point. And then I read a book about these guys who started this charter school network called KIPP when I was like um, in college, I think. And it kind of got me thinking, I'm like, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. Um, there's some interesting things happening. There's some like really like exciting innovators in, in, in the space, like in education. Um, that seems interesting to me. So that's probably when I started to think about it. But I really didn't know anything about like, I wasn't thinking about sports necessarily. Right. Um, and now there's like a pretty like robust community in like what we call sports space youth development. And, uh, that wasn't really the case at the time. <clears throat> there were some amazing people doing amazing work, but, um, it was really only when I kind of like stumbled into Metro lacrosse that I started to be, to think that maybe that could like <clears throat> really like combine these things and like have a more heavy focus on sports. So as I researched all about you and Harlem, I was so impressed. But where I got a little bit lost was Metro City Lacrosse leading to the door of Harlem. Could could you walk me through that time frame and the mergers and so that we can end up at the amazing institution of Harlem and work from there? Get me there, coach. Yeah. 
it's it's confusing to me too so confusing time in my life um <laughs> so anyways i've started working at metro a great organization that had been around since 2000s they'd been doing their thing um before i got there and just worked my way up basically like started working on the program staff started to learn a little bit more about nonprofit management had a great mentor named emily helm there who's still lucky to work with today um and who was the CEO at the time. Eventually I became the CEO of Metro Lacrosse, like definitely before I should have been, I guess. Like, I, I guess I was just like, I was inexperienced. So, um, but I, so I was learning a ton and, and going through some really important challenges and basically like learning how to be a nonprofit executive um, in that job. And simultaneously, uh, my now wife had moved to LA. So I was kind of had an interest in moving out here, but I would love to the work. So I didn't know how I was going to get out here. And I was very lucky that one day I got an email from Doc O'Connor saying, hey, I heard about this Metro lacrosse thing in Boston. I'm kind of interested in that happening in LA. Could I pick your brain a little bit about it? And I said, of course, I'm I would be happy to talk to you. I had no idea who he was, um, but I was, of course, happy to talk to him. And as it turns out, he was a, he was a partner at CAA, the talent agency. So um, he was just like basically the perfect person for me to be talking to. <laughs> you know, he was like, he was very well networked in the city of LA and had some um, some resources to support something if we wanted to start it. So basically I started to get to know him a little bit, knowing that I wanted to move at a personal interest in moving to LA. Eventually he helped me get that off the ground. I just left Metro, moved to LA, thinking I'm gonna start something from scratch. Metro will keep doing their thing and I, I was literally wandering around Watts. Not, I, I shouldn't say wandering, but knocking on doors of middle schools being like, I want to start a lacrosse program. So it was a really great experience having been at Metro that had kind of like been around for a little while and had some challenges, I think, with like sustainability and like a lot of nonprofits have. And then I had this experience of like building something from the ground up where it was literally nothing, you know? And we were doing our thing a couple of years in, um, serving a few hundred kids, raising a few hundred thousand dollars a year, um, hired one other employee and we're, you know, we were kind of off to the races and I was thrilled. It was an, it was an amazing period. And um, then I got a call from Simon Cataldo, who's the, the founder of Harlem Lacrosse and the board chair saying, hey, are you interested in becoming the CEO? Or, and I said, no, I'm, at the time we were about to have our first child and um, I was really happy. And long story short, we ended up you know, basically coming to the arrangement that we would become Harlem Lacrosse LA um, and I would become the CEO, continued to be based in LA. At the time, Harlem was, uh, had just gone to Boston, had been Baltimore for like two or three years. So they were kind of on the verge of, and we're about to go to Philly. So we're on the verge of a uh, national expansion. So we became the fifth city. And um, so they were at kind of an interesting point in their growth. As it turns out, like a year or two later, we ended up merging with Metro Lacrosse um, which is, you know, another great, you know, interesting experience, awesome experience, you know, with the, you just kind of like added a lot to the scale of the whole operation. So um, eventually it all kind of came together under one roof, <laughs> but um, it was sort of an unusual way to get there. But um, yeah, that's kind of how it all happened. All right. So now we're at the doorstep of Harlem Lacrosse. I enjoyed so much researching and the website, the video is outstanding. And we're going to play that in the beginning of our show. Justin will kind of import it in. Um, but help our listeners understand what is Harlem Lacrosse and who do you serve? 
Yeah, so Harlem Lacrosse operates in low-income urban schools or school-based intervention. We, we take a full-time employee and we embed them in a school. So this person's job, their title is program director, and their job is to be an educator, a mentor, a tutor, a coach, and an advocate. Um, and in some way, it's, it's um, a deep intervention, meaning like we're investing a lot of time and resource into a smaller number of kids versus trying to serve as many kids as possible. Um, so the way we think about that is like hours of year of participation per year. So we, we want like our students to participate between 250 and 350 hours a year um, outside of the school day. During the school day, they're getting support from the program director, that person sitting next to them in class, monitoring their academic work. So helping them stay on task, um, get their assignments in, play. That was a big role during COVID as well. Um, we're talking to students, parents, and teachers. After school, they're running study hall um, and, um, and lacrosse practices. And then on the weekends and in the out of school time, they're doing enrichment experiences and more lacrosse. So career outings, college visits, team building exercises, that type of thing. So it's meant to be a very um, comprehensive intervention that is about academic progress and personal growth that is sort of hinges on this athletic experience. So lacrosse is in one sense central to the whole thing. And in another, in another sense, um, the most important outcomes have nothing to do with lacrosse, you know? And so that's, that's what we do. Um, we do it, um, there are 40 people who have that job of program director um, serving about 1,300 kids a year right now. Uh, we, we operate in middle schools and high schools. So um, another thing about the intervention is supposed to be for a long time. You know, we believe that we can have the biggest impact by serving kids over a long period of time. So ideally they're enrolling in our program in sixth grade and staying with us through high school graduation. So we do like a lot of college placement support and we're just now getting into a lot of um, alumni services. So like um, college success, career success, um, college persistence, that type of work um, as more and more kids come up through the program. So that's a bit about what we do. It's um, we operate in Boston, New York, Philly, Baltimore, and LA. Um, I mentioned the size, it's, it's grown quite a bit. When, I, when we merged with Harlem Lacrosse in 2017, January 1st, 2017 was my first day. We were about, um, I think, 14 or 15 staff members, um, and I think about a $1.5 million budget. And now we're uh, 54 staff, full-time staff, like I said, serving 1,300 kids, uh, operating to this year, six, $6.2 million budget. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's quite the scale. And I would say, Mike, it's, it's really fascinating how transformational the organization is and you know how your program directors are truly ingrained in every aspect every part of you know the daily life while at school of these of these players and students and you know that's one of the things that as a coach myself coming from being a high school coach to a college coach and you know now a club coach is one of the biggest challenges because I see these kids once or twice a week so your program directors get to have, you know, those daily, even like hourly minute to minute touch points throughout the day. And they're truly ingrained in the, in the community, which is, I think, one of the neatest and most unique aspects of the model. But I'm sure it also poses some challenges. So I'm curious to hear from you, 
um, you know, what are the biggest challenges for this specific model and, and you know, what's helped it sort of overcome those challenges? Yeah, well, I think um, one challenge is just like, um, I guess I would describe it as like resources or will, like it's, it's, it requires a lot to be able to do this. Like it's expensive, right. um, not just in terms of like financial resources, but it's like a, it's a lot of time. So, um, but I think understanding that us having a good understanding of who we are, like helps us overcome that. So we're not trying to serve as many kids as possible. We know that that's the case that we make to the donors. If you come work here, you understand that to be the objective. If you're a volunteer, you understand that to be the objective. And so, you know, you might think of it as like, wow, there's a, a lot to invest if you in, in terms of like a middle school lacrosse program. And it's of course much more than just the lacrosse program. And in one sense it is, but in another sense, it's like it, you know, relative to what gets invested in many, like the average lacrosse players academic and athletic experience is really on par. I think it's really about there's a big resource um, disparity when it comes to youth sports and that we're trying to fill. And so one way we would do is making a big, uh, deep investment. So I guess one challenge is sort of like grappling with the depth of the investment required. And, um, but I'm, I'm very proud uh, that we, to do that work, you know, like I, it, it requires a lot, the work's important and I'm happy to talk to anyone about why, why that, why those resources are necessary and a good investment. You know, um, so that's part of it. I think the partnership management is real is a real challenge. Like, um, you know, we're we operate within existing systems, school systems within existing communities. There's there's all kinds of like variables at play and bureaucracies at play. And so, being really good at this job requires a certain skill set that is pretty dynamic. Like, you have to be able to build great relationships with kids, with families, with teachers in the building navigate the school system, navigate the the other teachers in the building, um, understand kind of like uh, all the partners that we work with. So all the existing lacrosse communities or colleges and universities or corporate partners. And so that requires a certain skill set that we have to sort of like try to be good at institutionally. Um, I think, you know, like, essentially like culturally responsive programming like the, the lacrosse community at large is like predominantly white community we serve almost exclusively minority students and so like for us to be really effective at our job we have to really understand how kids experience race and racism in the world that's the only way that we can like be good educators for them and craft an experience that is going to meet their needs and so there's many ways that we can do that. Like one is like, you know, building a really diverse staff, um, including many great leaders on our staff who are from the communities that we serve and are alums of the program, um, but also just developing our own racial equity competency. So like being committed to learning as educators about how our kids experience race and racism in the world, that's a challenge, you know, and mm -hmm. one that we are we try to be thoughtful and intentional about how we take it on, but that's, um, you know, given the nature of the, of the lacrosse community, it's, it's one that exists. Like a lot of the, the natural constituents for Harlem lacrosse, people who are going to be interested in our work, people who want to work here or volunteer coach or be donors or be on our board are going to be white like I am because that's the lacrosse, that is the, who makes up the lacrosse community today. 
and that's you know that's not a bad thing, but it just means that we have to be um, thoughtful about developing cultural competency as we operate in the communities that we are, are in that are predominantly not white. You're so articulate that you gently kind of walked into what I found to be one of the most significant pages of the impact report. And just the difference, we'll get into the difference in attendance and grades and the changes in their lives. But on page three, you have a page that says commitment, perseverance, and impact. And as you talked about the variables that can be so challenging, I think there's a sentence that I would just like you to reflect on. And because I think this was a, a exceptionally challenging variable, and that is, it reads, 2020 was an unprecedented year filled with challenges that were exponentially more daunting for the students that Harlem Lacrosse was founded to serve. And so as you look back and think of our challenging year of 2020 and, and henceforth, how do you reflect on what I just read? It, it goes on to be just as, as beautiful and challenging, but your thoughts? In my experience doing this job, um, you know, like the disruptions, to the education system for our one, you know, that we live in a society where we have um, disparity in terms of opportunity and the quality of education that is available to, to students in, in this country. Some for there are some students for whom, you know, there is no limit to how much can be invested in their education and they, they have truly incredible things available to them and there are other students that do not have an education system that is meeting their needs. And, you know, that's wrong. I, you know, that's, we believe that that's wrong. If you work at Harlem Lacrosse, you believe that's wrong and that's what we're trying to address. And um, that is, of course, not to disparage anyone who does have a lot invested in their education. That's a great thing. I'm trying to make, make that happen for as many kids as possible. But that is made worse by the pandemic. You know, the, the, the um, school closures like the ability of a, of a school or an individual teacher or a family to meet the educational needs of a child while their school is not in session, we're just much different for kids with resources than without. And so um, a problem that already existed was made a lot worse. And I think we're long from really like grappling with the, with like the real consequences of that, you know? And so we're sitting here saying like academically, we really want to like do everything that we can to support the kids in our program at this moment. I think all of the other impacts of the pandemic also are hitting hardest in the communities in which we're operating. So employment, economic impact, like the people who are losing their jobs are people who have jobs that you can't do from a computer, you know, and that's true for many parents of Harlem Lacrosse students um, and where people are getting sick, especially like in New York in the early days. Um, and dying that was happening in, in our neighborhoods more than it was happening in places like Pittsburgh where I grew up. And so every sort of like aspect of the pandemic is hitting hardest in the neighborhoods in which we're operating. And so we're trying to take our responsibilities as, um, you know, like advocates for our students really seriously. And then of course, like the murder of George Floyd, um, and sort of the racial reckoning that took place to follow um, was, a, was a really just um, important and um, intense issue for Harlem Lacrosse to, um, you know, to, 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 I, guess, I suppose, try to like just support our students through it, you know, like 
the, the people that we care about were going through like really difficult uh, period or specifically at that time. And we were trying to figure out how to support our kids and also going through the same thing that everyone else was going through, which is like, you know, we're recognizing that um, we have not been doing enough to sort of like combat, combat like systemic racism in this country. So we're saying, what can we do? What can we do more? And so we were going through all those things at the same time that we were trying to think about how can we support our students um, and their families at a time when we really want to be. Right. It's, I think one of the things that is so important about the work that you're doing is, is addressing the injustices and finding ways to educate yourselves while you're educating your, your players and your students and you know, obviously 2020 and, and beyond were very difficult years for all of us. And race continues to be a, a, a very important topic in our country today. And even within our own community, you know, there's there continues to be incidents left and right, unfortunately, that are occurring, but we're continuing to learn from. So you know, how do your program directors, you know, the the educators that are you know, boots on the ground, you know, in the classroom, on the field with your student athletes every day, how do they attempt to address some of these issues in a, in a, in a delicate, but also, you know, in a realistic way where you're empowering them to have those conversations that are difficult to have? Yeah, I think, uh, first and foremost, um, they, they care deeply about the kids that they work with, you know, like, like your first responsibility is to love the kids in your program. And I think like you can mostly be guided to the right decision-making from that, especially if you are skilled at relationship building and you're genuine um, and you're a skilled communicator, you're good at building relationships with family, which are all things that you're supposed to be good at if you work at Harlem lacrosse. Um, that is kind of like the grounding place, you know, start there. We, we are thoughtful about, like I said earlier, like building racial equity competencies. So we, don't, we are trying to train our people to be able to have those conversations. So that happens through professional development. We do a monthly uh, professional development uh, every month that is frequently focused on a topic like that. We bring in outside facilitators all the time. We've done a really, um, like a pretty comprehensive professional development series called Bar, Bar We, Building Anti-Racist White Educators which has facilitated a lot of impactful conversations. We learn from one another. So, um, you know, it's part of our overall sort of like um, human capital management and learning and development objectives at Harlem Lacrosse that we both wanna like hire people who share our values and who already have some, some fundamental skills in these things. And also spend a lot of time and effort helping people be the best they can in that. It's no, it's the same as being a good lacrosse coach, you know, sure. that's part of your job if you work at Harlem lacrosse. So we want to be selecting for people who already have skills who are good at that. Um, and then once they're here, we want to put them in a position to be the best coach they can be. That includes pushing them to learn all the time and giving them resources to learn. And like having the conversation that you're describing, same thing. If you want to work here, you should have some skill set in that already. So we want to recruit and select for that. And then we want to help help you be as good as you can possibly be at that while you work here. The impact in terms of many different educational aspects is amazing. I'm, and your impact report kind of walks through, and you know the statistics 
better than I could read them. So if I just give you a couple topics, could you just chime in on, like, for example, the impact of Harlem Lacrosse on attendance? Yeah, so um, it's definitely like, uh, like I said, we're like long-term intervention. So I think really what we're focused on is long-term success of our students. And you sort of like break it down into these like, on a year-to-year basis, what are the indicators that kids are on track to meet the long-term goals? But definitely one of, there are some sort of like fundamental building blocks to, are you getting the impact that you want from Arlen Lacrosse? Are you coming to school more than you were the year prior or more than you were before you joined the program? And um, that's, a, that's an important thing for us. I think, especially when we wanna be recruiting students who are most, um, most prone to sort of like academic decline or dropout. And so our students are, they tend to be more economically disadvantaged, higher percentage of special education students, higher percentage of um, English language learners in than their schools at large. We, you know, the first thing is we want to help those kids come to school more. And lacrosse is one of the things that helps come in their program. The existence of the program director is one of those things. So hugely, hugely important during COVID as well, uh, attending virtual school, which like there's crazy, crazy problems with attendance all over the place, but with our, with our, with, uh, in the districts in which we're operating specifically. So that's one way that we can make an impact for sure. And it's. Yeah, and that carries over to academic performance, which is also uh, amazing. So, I mean, just staggering numbers of the improvement in that area. Yeah. So for academic, both attendance and academic performance, like really, I think what we're looking for is for, for students who are really struggling um, that's where we can make the biggest impact, like off the ground, sort of like if you're a failing student at Harlem lacrosse, you know, we are generally getting you to increase your, your like overall GPA by like a 10 to 12 points in your first year in the program. So that, and just like if you're a student who's chronically absent, you're going to be coming to school for probably like the, the, it's, it was a little bit tough with the COVID data, but like on average, like a week and a half more, like 10 more days of school, if you are someone who previously is chronically absent. So those are really like impactful in terms of your learning outcomes. If you if you, if you are a chronically absent student, you missed more than 10% of school in the year prior, and all of a sudden that's 18 days, 180 day school year. And the next year you come to school for 10 days more than you did previously, that's important instructional times. That, that will make a difference in your learning. And if you're a student who's failing, you know, oftentimes that's a result of like, you're just like not managing your time or behaving in class or getting your work done. And like, if you can all of a sudden, like get your arms around your academic work a little bit more, where now you are, that's like a really important first step. So that's a big emphasis for us and a big way that we make impact kind of in the, in your early trajectory at Harlem Cross. So with the improvement in attendance, academic performance, it leads to personal growth or the growth mindset. As a guidance counselor, I was like, yes, growth mindset. And that's really the next area of impact. Yeah, I guess in some ways I would say it's kind of like the first area where, you know, my experience as a teacher, I was like, okay, when I was a student teacher, I taught an English language learning class, ninth grade world history. And there was, I think like 12 or 14 languages represented in the classroom. I'm like, including some students who were like, had been in the country for less than a month. Mm. And I'm like, these kids have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> How am I going to get them to learn about the industrial revolution? Which was a great exercise to go through if you're like learning how to be an educator, because it was like, okay, well, like what is, what is happening in this child's brain when I say whatever I say? <laughs> I really need to think about what that is because I better, 
uh, be more thoughtful about how I deliver this instruction. But um, it's sort of like, um, uh, like when I thought about some of the challenges that kids were having in my classroom, I was sort of like, this is a lot more fundamental than like, do they know the curriculum that they should have learned last year? It's sort of like, do they have the mindset and orientation to be a successful student? We, we almost can't go anywhere unless we start there. It's probably like easiest to think about with math, you know, since math just builds on itself naturally where you're like, okay, like if you didn't learn what you're supposed to learn in algebra, geometry is very difficult. And then it kind of either gets exponentially worse or easier. But I think the first step is like, do you have kind of like the self-discipline and self-confidence um, to be a strong student? And that is where I think Carl McFrost probably makes our biggest impact. You know, those are things that there's no class in school to teach you. And the, the lacrosse field is actually the perfect classroom to learn. Um, so if you can learn that on the field, then that's like the building blocks to becoming a successful student. Which leads to future educational opportunities like boarding school and college and independent schools. Amazing. Yeah, so school placement and what we call personal pathing is a big, big part of what we do. And it's, um, it's really about getting to know students and their families and saying, what are your goals? What are your strengths? Um, what do you want to achieve? And let's set forth a path um, for you to reach those goals. And let's figure out how Harlem Lacrosse can support you along the way. Um, so for many students, that's independent school. That's We have about 80 kids a year um, at any given time. So our, our application classes are typically around 20 kids, a few PGs as well. We now have high school programs in all of our cities. Uh, we're right on the verge of having a high school program for every kid. So if you want to go to a high school in your neighborhood, you can continue to have a Harlem Lacrosse program director in your life. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to post-secondary success, when you're thinking about what, what comes after high school, um, you know, that's where the, those personal pathing meetings are happening as well. We're saying, okay, what, what do you want to achieve? How can we help you get there? We've heard some of the, the data and it's certainly impressive and it hopefully helps you with some of your fundraising and it certainly helps these kids in their lives. And I guess my question is more related to instead of maybe just sort of the numbers and the statistics, what are some of the maybe lesser known champion stories of, you know, we've, we've heard of players being placed, um, in, in colleges and maybe even receiving scholarships and having very, very, you know, good careers, both as, as students, but also as athletes on the field. So what are some of those maybe lesser known stories, Mike, of, of a player or two that comes to mind that um, really embodies everything that, that is Harlem lacrosse? Well, I mean, we have, um, we have five people who work for us who are Harlem lacrosse or Metro lacrosse alums. So that, you know, we, they're well-known stories to us who work here, but maybe not to someone else who is sort of like looking at the website or whatever. So, yeah. you know, Josiah Bramble is a program director for us in, um, in Boston and Daniel Crawford is one in, in New York and Sejon Weeks is one in Philadelphia who are all Harlem lacrosse students. And then um, Pat Cronin and Rod Henriquez is like, they are, program or they work on the program team in Boston who are Metro lacrosse alums Pat actually I coached when I worked at Metro lacrosse he was a high school student so he's been at this as long as I have um, but I think that in many ways represents like a, a kind of a unique success for the organization that 
Um, those are people who have learned exactly what we want them to learn from the program, in my opinion. They're tremendous leaders. Um, and also they have like such high level of ownership over the organization where they're now like, we want to take control, you know, we want to help make Harlem lacrosse what it can be for the next generation. And so really proud of that. I'm, you know, I'm proud of every kid. <laughs> like sure, success sure. comes in different shapes and forms. Like kids are doing incredible things on the lacrosse field and at, in universities and in the, the professional world. And um, so it's, there's so much to celebrate. Um, and it's, we're really reaching a scale where it's like, it's, it's becoming significant. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I think of the people who work it for us also, also like Carlos Beeson is a board member of ours in, um, in New York, or he's on our executive board. He's, he works at William Morris now. He played lacrosse at Colby. So he's like someone who is, um, I think, represents a lot of what we want to achieve. Um, we have another board member in Philadelphia who's, you know, was a lacrosse player at Haverford and now is a professional in, in Philadelphia community, was, serves on our advisory board there. So those to me all represent great things um, in terms of success, but, um, you know, I'm su super proud of the kids who are succeeding as athletes, you know, like we have students that are playing lacrosse at Johns Hopkins or Hobart or other division one programs or Diamond, uh, Diamond was just at, uh, I think player of the week at UMBC last week, like for her conference. So she's like crushing, which is, you know, both not surprising and awesome. And um, we also have kids who are like just incredible students. Um, I was just heard about one of our students who he goes to Duke and doesn't play lacrosse. And um, obviously it's really challenging to make the roster at Duke for lots of people, but I don't, he was not someone for whom lacrosse was an important driver, but he got a lot out of the program, you know, and that's really yep. important for us too. And I'm, I just heard about him because he had just, um, I guess had a really, did a really good job on it, like an internship interview, um, which is also not surprising, but awesome to celebrate. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Those are all things that, you know, I've, you could read these great success stories on the website, but it's really neat to hear it come from you. And the, the audience can't see this, but we can see you on the screen right now. So it is also pretty cool to see that little glimmer in your eye when you talk about these kids. Um, you can tell that you're absolutely someone who cares and is a true educator. So we're going to move into another section now. Um, this is actually the X's and O's insight of the week. It's more for the coaches who are listening. Um, for Coach Bill, this is one of his favorite sections, and when I'm listening, this is also obviously one of mine. And we're going to break into an aspect of the game where we talk a little bit more X's and O's about the sport of lacrosse. And one of the things that, that Coach Bill and I are, are curious about is the methodology of Harlem. Is there a specific lacrosse-centered curriculum that you're teaching at practices? Are there certain themes, um, you know, similar to maybe the classroom, like a lesson plan that you're making sure that you hit, uh, you know, each season that they're proficient in, you know, shooting or dodging or defensive footwork? I guess, t you know, take us through that a little bit. What is the methodology? Yeah, so there's there's lots to it. Um, I think just take a step back, sort of like philosophically, I would say sort of like for us, kind of like culture trumps curriculum a bit. So it's more like principles that we're trying to apply as, as practitioners, like as coaches uh, versus like, this is our set of drills. There are of course, like if you go to our 
shared server, like you'll see lots of drills, you know, and, and if let's say we go to, um, you know, lots of practice plans and things like that. But I think there's a couple of principles that we try to apply, like just, um, you know, sort of like a less is more approach. So sometimes I refer to it as word economy, like when you're coaching, um, meaning like let the drill teach, try to deliver the most important instruction that you can with as few words as possible so that you can maximize the amount of repetition that kids get mm -hmm. um, versus trying to instruct your way towards the outcome that you want. Um, physical activity is really important. Like are kids moving? How much are they moving and how many reps are they getting versus how much are they, how often are they standing around? Um, and just kind of like playing with variables to maximize those things like lines and number of balls and things like that are things that we think about, um, which are of course like not unique to us. That's, you know, we're not inventing those ideas, but definitely important to what it means to be a successful coach at Harlem Lacrosse. I think um, we spend a lot of time thinking about scaffolding so sort of like, because especially we have so many kids who are new to the sport. And so you're, we do a lot of like individual skill instruction. Um, and so thinking about like, okay, what scaffold can I provide to be in a, to help assist, get the outcome that we want if you're learning how to catch or pick up a ground ball or whatever, how can I think creatively about like adjusting this process to get the kit, to get the outcome that I want, where I can then remove the scaffold and then like the, once the learning and repetition has happened. So like, you know, you might have a drill that's designed to start with a pass and then the kid does X, Y, or Z, shoot, dodge, whatever. And one scaffold that you might introduce is like, okay, we're just gonna place the ball on the stick to start. So you're still gonna get a quality rep without having to be able to catch mm -hmm. the ball, yeah. you know? So I think those are principles that we try to apply when we're thinking about instruction, like um, that are important. And then as kids get older, and you're starting to talk about like team concepts and understanding like the game of lacrosse, not just the individual skills required to play. Um, that's like a different different ball game. But sure. uh, so that's for us. There's definitely heavy emphasis on that individual's like skill development. So that scaffolding piece and like the repetition piece and word economy are all like important principles. I like the word economy phrase. I'm, I'm going to steal that coach. I might need it's to good. implement it into my own life. <laughs> that from someone else. I took that from um, a book about teaching. So Doug Lamov, a great educator of educators, highly recommend. So he actually visited us for a staff training a couple of years ago, but uh, he wrote a book called Teach Like a Champion, which was great. Is a great book. And that's where I got that. So I don't want to claim, I don't want anyone to be giving me credit for his good idea. You drifted right into our last topic, which is really for players who listen, and that's the importance of culture building. And I love all those John Gordon books you went in the locker room and, and the others. Can you think of some core principles to share that represent Harlem Lacrosse when it comes to culture building? Um, yeah, I think um, that's a great, great question. I mean, it, I think being a great teammate is probably like the thing that comes to mind for me the most. You know, we have a um, almost every Harlem lacrosse practice or game is broken on a huddle. That's sort of like a Harlem on three, family on six chant, and I think that's um, that's something that um, is pretty organic. I wouldn't say that it's like an intentional top down. That's just kind of like the way we do things here, and it's um, evolved that way. And I think that's. Um, to think of yourself as caring about your teammates is definitely 
what it means to be successful like Harlem across participant. Um, and so that is something that comes to mind for me the most, like just trying to be a great teammate. Um, I think growth mindset as well, sort of like understanding where you are and what success can be and sort of like working towards those things, um, especially because, you know, sports sometimes is we're conditioned to celebrate certain outcomes that sometimes are, um, you know, and like in opposition to a growth mindset, you know, it's kind of like you cheer when the ball goes in, the score goes up, but the growth mindset is really about like, you know, am I doing the right thing, which sometimes you get the wrong outcome, even though you're doing the right thing, or you're failing the sport outcome, but you're actually doing the right thing by, by practicing it the right way or trying something new or something like that. So I think trying to have that orientation is something that is really important in terms of that we want all of our players to have. It's kind of like, sometimes I can do the right things. And if I'm try risking failure, trying something new and I don't get the right sport outcome, I didn't win the game or I didn't, I lost the ball or I threw it out of bounds or what the other team scored, I can still recognize that as progress, you know? Um, and so I think that's, another important characteristic for what it means to be like a successful player at Harlem Cross. You articulated one of my later in my career insights was Nick Myers at Ohio State when I was helping with the under 19 USA team. He said, we're going to have a blueprint. And this blueprint is what it means to be a part of Team USA. So I stole that and applied that to our LaSalle team. And, and the impact that it had was that the blueprint became what we wanted to be in terms of our core principles, our non-negotiables. Uh, as a team. But then what I found was that we, when we won or lost, and you articulated this much better than I'm doing at the moment, we could go back to the blueprint and say, you know what, we did things right today. We played hard today. We honored our brothers today. The scoreboard didn't reflect all the great work that we did. So we honored the blueprint, but we lost the game. We're still a better team and a better group of men for having competed. And the opposite's true too. We won the game. We didn't honor the blueprint. We didn't do the things that our core principles and non-negotiables asked of us. And so we won, but we really didn't grow as a team. We, we lost to the, to the blueprint. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we don't, I don't try to shy away from sport competency. Like that's an important outcome. And um, we don't want to be satisfied just to have kids running around on a field playing lacrosse. They, we should have high expectations for them and they should have high expectations for themselves. And we should hold ourselves accountable for delivering great instruction so they can be the best players that they can be. But we are, you know, that's very different than kind of a win at all cost mentality mm -hmm. or like, so we're, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to balance sometimes, you know, sport is both like the perfect environment to learn these things. And also it can really like invert some things for you, you know, where you're kind of like rewarding the wrong things. You know, mm -hmm. I see, like, I'm sure you guys see it all the time in club. It's like, you know, the, the way club works now is like, you know, you're, frequently incentivized to have like a really successful wins and losses like youth lacrosse program and it's like to me that's like a very it's, it's usually like a pretty easy problem to solve it's like okay if I can just take the best players and put them in the positions to score the most goals or the fastest kid or whatever a lot of times it's getting the, the best players on one team that's like you know that's not an interesting problem for me to solve as a coach personally but also I think it's not necessarily productive for everyone from like a it's not getting every player to be the best they can be in the long run. Right. So it's like the sport, even though you might win all the games, you're getting the, the sport outcome is telling you you're doing a good job. 
you may not be doing, as you said, like honoring the blueprint. So it's, um, you know, we, we try to be thoughtful about that. I think coaches and players, we want to have that mindset. It doesn't mean that we don't care about the sport outcome. You know, that's, um, I try to, when I used to coach more, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, like winning is one of our goals. It's one of the goals. Um, and depending on where you are in your lacrosse career, will probably determine like, what prior where it is in the priority list you know if you're very young you know i think having fun is the most important goal so that'd be our top goal and winning might be like way down on the list you know we want to have fun we want to get better we want to be better at the end of this than we are now those are really important goals winning is not that important if you're playing professional lacrosse winning is more important um you know so it, it elevates on the list you know you're not really trying to get better you're already like supposed to be as good as you can be um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of how I try to think about it. And I think we have some really talented coaches at this organization that are always helping us try to, you know, be better and think about these issues and think about ways to communicate them to the kids and stuff. I don't know, coach, you're the CEO, but I'm hearing a whole lot of coach Mike going on right here. It's all good. I like coach Mike. <laughs> all right, Mike. So we've, we've heard a lot about Harlem and, Harlem lacrosse, that is, of course, and all of the incredible things that that you've done and, and all the others in the organization have accomplished. So tell us a little bit more about where Harlem lacrosse is headed and how the listeners can help you with that cause. Yeah, it's just a um, we've been working really hard to um, sort of like grow and scale the organization. I just feel like we're at an incredibly exciting point. So. Last year's senior class at Harlem Lacrosse was the largest we have ever had, 60 students um, who were active as seniors. And half of those kids are the first in their family to go to college. Half of them are now playing lacrosse. And those are like really exciting outcomes at a scale that's pretty big for us. Except um, the pipeline is so much more robust based on our growth over the last couple of years. So we have you know, 350 eighth graders who are active participants. And so what is possible for us in the next few years is just really, really exciting. And like, that's, that's what I'm focused on is kind of like, how can we build an organization that retains as many of those eighth graders as possible through 12th grade so they get the most that they possibly can out of Harlem lacrosse, um, which is an important challenge. You know, it's not just going to happen. We have to be great programmatically. We have to raise more money. We have to have more resources to scale some of the services that we're delivering for kids. We have to figure out lots of new challenges just organizationally. Um, but it's it's in it's right in front of us you know i feel like it's right it's possible and um the version of harlem lacrosse that has an even larger budget 10 or 20 million is is right there and i think we can make a really exciting impact most importantly for the communities that we operate and the kids that we serve but i think we're also right on the verge of kind of like you know just it really being a bigger part of the sport in general you know like we are on the verge of being i think one of the largest like entities in terms of like just like a club basically if you could think of us that way um lacrosse program in terms of geographic scale and um how many kids and like what that could mean for college lacrosse and the future of the sport i think is um is exciting so we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year um we have a, a big event on march 31st and which is an amazing accomplishment or just like a time to celebrate. But I just think about what we have going for us today that we had 10 years ago when we were just sort of like have an idea and, a, and Simon who's the founder had like a lot of talent and a, a incre pretty incredible like will to get this off the ground. Um, 
But now we have like an incredible network of supporters. We have all these amazing alums to look up to. We have like a really talented and growing staff. We just, that feels to me like we're right on the verge of, of really scaling what we're doing. So that is exciting to me, you know? It's very exciting. It's exciting for us just to have witnessed what, what Harlem lacrosse has become over the years, you know, just kind of watching from the periphery. It's, it's really neat to hear that you have 358th graders and that it's just continuing to grow and the amount of lives that you're impacting is really staggering. So congratulations. And I'll be excited to maybe get that invitation for uh, the March 31st yeah. cele celebration. <laughs> yeah. Buy your tickets now. Cause it's gonna, um, we are, I'm looking at the guest list on my other screen right now. And it's, we, we've, we've had a lot of great supporters that are um, helping out. It's, it's really been going, it's been awesome to see the response, but it means that we are going to be tight on space. So. Uh-oh, I better hurry up. Virtually. Yeah. I saw there was a virtual option. <laughs> there is a virtual option, unlimited space in the virtual, virtual event. All right, well, let's bring this home, Coach, with my favorite segment, the Rapid Fire Next Homework. Let's go! So I'm going to ask you if you have homework for a couple of different groups, and you'll give it to us quickly, and then I'll ask you what you're reading or listening to these days. You ready to play? Yep. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for a parent who's listening? Um, it's funny. I'm a kind of a new parent. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, um, so I've been thinking about this more uh, these days. But I think um, just talking to your kids about what what brings them joy in the sport is is an important thing to me because I people often talk to me about you know it seems like we get so fixated on the outcomes in lacrosse, like okay, well, college and you know championships and whatever and sometimes we lose sight of um, what makes us happy about playing and as I think about the parent that I want to be I'm like that's how I want to support my kids then I want them to be able to like experience joy through the sport and I think if you're thinking about that it can really guide you to being I think like um, the to me like the right kind of sport parent um, so that's what talk to your kids about what makes them happy when they play homework for a coach who's listening um, I think, um, you know, I, I like every coach to think about, uh, what they want the sport to be, um, and think about their sort of like, um, take a minute just to think about your sort of like broader responsibility as coaches. It's like, we can get sort of like fixated in, in like the immediate, you know, we, there's lots to get done. There's lots to teach our kids everyone has di like different needs on our team we're trying to win a championship we're trying to learn these skills we're trying to develop kids but i think it's incumbent upon all coaches to think about sorry about that <laughs> um it's, a, it's incumbent upon all coaches to think about what is the lacrosse community that we want to create because the coaches hold like a very unique um role in that you know like you're you're communicating to both your kids and your parents like what your value system is and that will shape what, what the sport becomes. And so to think about that a little bit. And so um, that's what I would ask coaches to do. And homework for a player who's listening. Uh, I think just um, to spend some time thinking about what it means to be a great teammate. And, um, you know, there's a lot, if you're a young kid, you should mostly be focused on like, having fun and enjoying lacrosse and uh, these things. But I think it was helpful to me. I referenced my high school coaches, but they used to um, ask us to think about, you know, like 
there's going to be a day when you can't play lacrosse anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and it was often like, you know, play every play like it's your last, you know, because someday it will be your last play. But I have kind of a different take on that as sort of like when you can't play anymore, um, what will your teammates say about the type of teammate that you are? If you take a second to sort of like ponder that question, I think it can um, help you be a great teammate today and, you know, in the future. So that's something I hope for all players. You've got lots of other great people coming on these shows who can give better advice about how to be better players, technical advice and stuff like that. So that's, I'm not the best for that stuff. Yeah, but you were the best for deep and reflective homeworks. I'm going to have to ponder that on the way home. They were all excellent. All I don't know excellent. if that's like a different take on these questions. Usually someone's like, hit, you know, do this drill or hit the wall. And I'm, you know, there people should do those things too. Believe me, I, I believe that, but I just like, probably have better people to talk to me oh, about that was it. great my mind is a little blown but i'm excited to to reflect on that too <laughs> so wrap it up what are you reading or listening to these days um i have a great friend um i, I referenced earlier kind of like this industry of sports basic development megan bartlett who runs a um, organization called the center for healing and justice through sport and i just always they have a podcast and a blog and I just am always listening to whatever she's doing. Um, she does a lot of like really interesting, her partner, Bruce Duncan is a, a PhD um, neuroscientist. So she's, she really like comes at this through the lens of like brain development in children mm -hmm. and how, how we can be great coaches, especially to children who have experienced trauma in their lives and how that's impacted their brain. So she's just like a really brilliant person. And I try to learn as much as I can from her. So. That's what I'm reading and listening to these days. Thank you for sharing that. And also thank you for your time and for your thoughtful conversation with us here on the show today. It's so fun to learn more about you and to certainly learn more about Harlem Lacrosse. And we at Next Year are obviously so proud just to be connected to you and some of the amazing work that you and so many others around you are doing. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all the support. Next has been a great partner to Harlem Lacrosse in Philadelphia. And I think... Um, it's a, a burgeoning partnership. You know, I think it's we're only kind of like just, I see it really growing in the future and that's from the staff uh, leadership and from players and parents. So really excited to see where that goes and grateful to that you had me on. Absolutely. We're excited to see that through as well. And now that's a wrap for episode 11 of season three from our new offices here in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. For our producer, Justin, co-host Bill Leahy, and of course our guest, Mike Levin from Harlem Lacrosse. This is Coach Henwood in for Coach Coop, and we're signing off from Next Headquarters. Thank you for listening. All right, Coach, that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Really grateful. Honest. You were excellent. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was, that was really fun. <laughs> <laughs>